Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's Borderline Podcast on Grip with me, Gareth Soy. And this week, I'm delighted to welcome one of Ireland's most famous columnists and generally all around good bloke who everyone hates for some reason. But we'll. Hello, Ian O'Doherty. How are you? <laughs> That's uh, probably the nicest intro I've ever, I've ever had about me anyway, but thank you very much. So Ian has very kindly come on to talk with us today. And um, I actually, I was telling a friend yesterday, I was talking to Ian, I was going to be talking to Ian. And he said, oh, right, yeah, what are you going to be talking about? And I said, I have absolutely no fucking clue. <laughs> and much like Ian said to me a minute ago, what are we talking about? I said, I don't know. But um, thankfully, Ian... There's not a lot going on in the world at the minute, so no. You know, I was only thinking about this. I was only thinking about this earlier today that, as a columnist, you tend to notice phases of the year and busier times of the year and stuff. But there was a time around the summer. Now we used to know it was the city season and things like that. I have not had a quiet summer in the last four or five years, and I think it all really goes down to ever since Trump took over, and ever since he ran for election, really. Um, Everything's just gone very, very odd. And I say that as somebody who would have voted for him the first time around, but the response to him, um, and like this summer is now, well, I mean, I think everybody just feels like, you know, go home 2020, you're drunk. You know, this is a year that we're only six months into it, and already everybody wants the year to be finished. I'm sure there's a joke about 2020 vision in there somewhere that absolutely no one has ever made before. But uh, I, the, the, the last time um, we were talking, you did a... Um, you did a panel thing for the politics festival and you were saying, I remember you saying that, you know, Trump had won and Brexit had won and you were saying the left have lost, you know, this is, they've lost everything they're going for is lost. But so are they, is this their, is this their uh, last stand or is this their fight? What the hell is this? Because I think if you look at it on a, if you look at it on a party political level, the left is lost. And you look at, I mean, Labour got absolutely bounced out of it in the last election, you know. Um, but this is what we're, what we're currently seeing, like with the Black Lives Matter thing and the, all the statues must fall and stuff like that. Um, that goes much, much deeper than mere party politics. That's, you know, and I'd love to say that what we're going through is just a pass phase, um, sort of a, a cultural hiccup, if you like. But I don't think it is. Um, I think we're, we're going through some very, very scary times. And I think there's a combination of two things there. There's the the irrational, petulant aggression of the protesters. And there's the spineless cowardice of the establishment. And by the establishment, I mean the politicians, the broadcasters, the media. Um, and it's this presumption that uh, the protesters are somehow all virtuous and noble. I mean, I think it's, you, you might have seen the, the much lampooned report on the BBC where there were 27 police officers injured. I think it was 27 police officers injured at a riot and uh, or, as the BBC called it, a largely peaceful demonstration by Black Lives Matter, you know. Um, yeah, well, I mean, in comparison to the ones we used to have in Belfast, it probably was. <laughs> but, but the thing, the thing, yeah, the thing about it is, is that, you know, they're, they're, I've grown up seeing riots in Northern Ireland and the riots in Northern Ireland not so long ago. Um, but, you know, what the police in Northern Ireland, for whether it was the RUC or the PSNI or whatever, for all their feelings, they just didn't put up with shit like the way yeah. the cops are these days. You know, and I just, I don't understand. I mean, the sight of policemen in the UK taking the knee and then the next day having the shit kicked out of them by yeah. the same people. It, it's just what, amazing. You probably saw the footage then of um, there was one cop who got his ass handed to him and there were people basically taking selfies of themselves beside beside him as he lay unconscious on the ground. Um, yeah. Now, the thing is, I know the English cops are desperate to be not seen uh, to be like the American cops, but there's an interesting thing that a lot of my family are based in America. And like a lot of Irish Americans, they're cops and some very interesting people um, with some very interesting views. But I always heard one of them, cousin Danny, telling me he was um, he was there when Giuliani took over and cleaned up the city. 
And he said, simply put, Giuliani allowed the NYPD to become the biggest gang in New York. And all of a sudden, after years of being treated like shit by all the criminals and stuff like that, all of a sudden people were afraid of the cops again. And you look at the stats, the crime rate went absolutely plummeted. And New York became the safe, much safer place that we recognize today. Whereas in the 80s, it was a war zone. So I'm not calling for police brutality, and everybody was horrified by the footage of the George Floyd death. But when you see cops bending the knee, submitting to protesters, it's no wonder that 24 hours later, the bunch of them get battered. Our media, you know, completely, and you and me as journalists, well, you're a real journalist, I'm only a fake journalist, but, you, you know, I, I've, I want to be sitting there in one of the seats that one of the, you know, one of the BBC heads or the Sky News heads or some of the, the RTE ones are sitting there talking to these people. And all I'm doing is screaming at TV, going, why are you not questioning this? Why are you not pointing out the hypocrisy? Why are you not? What, you know, you're one of the very few people who are willing to actually question stuff. And what the hell is going on? Why? You see, that's not, see, Gareth, the thing is, that's meant to be our job. I, I, no, that's that's it. That's the whole reason of your existence as a journalist is that you're meant you're meant to go why, where, when. Yeah, to all questions, but they don't ask questions. Well, there's, there's been a growing trend over the last few years for journalists to see themselves as either activists or as part of the establishment or something like that. You know, um, there's I know far too many journalists throw columnists who are basically just campaigners for various different causes and invariably they tend to be sort of you know the usual liberal kind of pain in the arse causes basically you know um yeah. but terribly all terribly right on and you know it's but i what i notice about a lot of irish journalists is that they will bravely say something that is already very popular anyway shouldn't be racist no. oh really thank you <laughs> but this is it you know what i mean they'll, hero they'll heroically hop on the popular bandwagon and then expect a round of applause and to be, you know, to be congratulated on their courage. Um, but I think as well, that, 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 I wrote about this in spite uh, the English publication the other day. And I was saying, there's a lot of it to do with they don't want to get on the wrong side of the mob. There's a lot to do with sort of, you know, career insecurity. Um, and a lot of it as well, when you boil it down, it's just that sort of, that very human desire that a lot of people have to not just to not have unnecessary hassle in their life. You know, unfortunately, that's a, a, a piece of common sense that I've always been missing. Um, <laughs> yeah, you and me both. And, <laughs> you know, I, like, I, I don't mind a scrap. You know, and like when the, when, the, when the mob comes after me, I always go back after the mob, but they tend not to be used to that, you know what I mean? Um, well, I mean, most of them are bullies, and uh, like bullies when you stand up to them are cards, and yeah. that's... You know, that is even, what's even more baffling is that these people whose supposed job it is to stand up to the bullies actually agree with them and give in to them. And I, I don't even think it's through fear for the most part. I, it is, you're right, human, you get that little dopamine hit of someone agreeing with you. Maybe we get the dopamine hit of someone not agreeing with us or something. Like yeah. I <laughs> but I no, I, I think, you see, the thing is, I think there's a sneaking regard. In the same way that during the Troubles, shall we call it, there was a, a lot of uh, journalists down south, even though everybody was sort of officially obviously condemned the IRA, there was a sneaking regard for the men of violence in certain sections of the Irish media. And there's a, when it comes to the Black Lives Matter, the thugs and the, the statue destroyers, there's definitely a sort of a sneaking regard for those protesters as well. So I find there's a profound sort of lack of honesty really in an awful lot of the report. And whether that's down to... And you see, the thing is, like as I was pointing out in the piece uh, in Spike, Black Lives Matters is an avowed hardline Marxist organisation, right, with absolutely insane views. If all Black Lives Matter wanted was for black dudes not to be killed by white cops in the States, we'd all be joining them on the march. That is not an unreasonable position to have. But that's their Trojan horse. 
their ideological Trojan horse that they use then to get in. And basically, they want to get rid of the cops. They want to abolish prisons. They think climate change is racist. They want they want reparations for slavery. They want a whole raft of. Um, and if, if anybody wants a laugh, go onto the Black Lives Matter UK website and have a look at their list of demands. Right, it's like something you'd see in the Onion. And these people are being given the time of day by people who should know far better. And um, what I want to know is the, the, the Black Lives Matter supporters, uh, both civilians and those in the media, they seem to fall into two groups. And I'd like to know what they are. On the one hand, it's like, are you too stupid and too lazy and too uncurious, too lacking in curiosity to bother checking what Black Lives Matter actually means and what they want? Or have you actually bothered to check it out and you've decided that you actually agree with them? Like, basically, Black Lives Matter is another iteration of Occupy Wall Street from a few years ago. But now they have the protection of the colour of their skin. You see, the thing about it is, though, they're, they're Trojan horses. They don't even have a Trojan horse. They, they have a up in playing, you know, on a massive big poster saying, this is who we are. You know, we, we hate you. We want to destroy society. We want to destroy capitalism. We want to destroy. They, it's listed there. It's, they're not even. Yeah, they, and they, they're even one of the, one of the things. Like, they want to dismantle the traditional nuclear family. And you go, what's that got to do with George Floyd being killed? You know, and that, that's where, that's the crossover between Black Lives Matter and Antifa. Um, my friends in Antifa, they have a similar, um, really weird dislike for the traditional nuclear family. Um, so it's, you, you look at things like that and you just go, why is anybody of any consequence paying any attention to these people whatsoever? Yeah, or, or, or why... Even even worse than that, why is the, the, the BBC, RTE, Sky, why are the big guys not bringing them in, sitting them down, and presenting them with what they want and saying, what the hell? <laughs> How do you justify this stuff? How do you, you know, and yesterday, was it yesterday, um, the Black Lives Matter have come out with where the far left tends to end up, and they've got on to their favourite pet, peeve of Israel um, and oh, yeah. they, they announced that they were supporting Palestine and blah blah blah, blah all, all the rest so their usual um, Israeli Jewish hatred stuff comes to the fore because they can never keep that you know bubbling under for too long it always has to pop out so I, I find this very interesting that you know, never mind that all the premiership footballers who, you know, we we like, we, we're all taking the knee and doing everything else to an anti-capitalist organization, which makes no sense. But now you have some Israeli footballers, and I actually tweeted one yesterday, and I asked them, I showed them the Black Lives Matter tweet. They said, okay, are you going to be taking the knee now again after this? No reply. And interestingly, the only person who in within football who I've seen questioning this is Matt Letizia, who's saying, I'm, I'm not willing to wear this badge anymore, which guys were me, forcing me against my will to do. So, you know, the, all the evidence is there. And like, no one says a word, you know, from your, sorry, I'm rambling on a bit, but from your position. No, no, I, no, I completely agree. And this is what, this is what's often infuriating them about the job that I do, where I find myself sort of going to people, going to other journalists, and just, and, and other journalists and normal people as well. I'm just sort of saying, can you guys not see this? You know, we see this, but we have this remarkable facility to look away from the uncomfortable facts because it's easier just to go with the flow, you know? And I think it's interesting. Like the, the, I, I'm not, I'm not mad about the whole white lives matter thing. I think that people know exactly what they're doing, you know? Um, yeah, they do. and, but what's interesting is that uh, the black lives matter people have said it can only be black lives matter, except for the fact that are quite a few of their encampments. Now you'd see the Palestinian lives matter. The thing is with, with the left, this is where the left meets, this is where the far left circles around and meets the far right. Um, the political spectrum isn't a straight line, it's a circle, you know. 
and eventually they double back in on each other. And what the far left and the far right have in common is that when it comes down to playing their hits, you better bring out the classics, and Israel and the Jews are the biggest hits when, they, when they're banging their drums. Um, it's a bizarre, utterly irrational, um, incredibly disproportionate obsession with the only democracy in the area. Um, and I find what's interesting is that you point out anything to do with the the BDS movement, you know, the boycott, divest, and sanction movement, and their links to sort of other far left groups, and, and the, you can talk about various different things with the anti-Israeli uh, lobby. Some of them I've met, and I will have to say they're actually honourable people. Right? They have a genuine, legitimate beef, and it's a beef that they would share with what the Chinese are doing to the Uyghurs and stuff like that. And that's fair enough. I don't agree with them, but they're coming from an honest place. But the majority of them, they're bad actors, Gareth. They're not. They're not. They're not sincere people. They're not honourable people. They just hate the Jews. Yeah, it's I'm... as simple as that. They don't want Israel to exist. And yeah. I mean, I remember a few years ago. It would, even the, the staunchest critic of Israel, the staunchest anti-Israeli critic, would go mad if you suggested they wanted Israel to disappear off the map. That was that was completely, that was beyond the pale even for them to admit that publicly. They, they would always deny that. Now it's something that you, you see on a regular basis. You know, you only have to cast your mind back a few years ago, Vincent Brown referring to Israel as a cancer, the cancer in the Middle East. You know, going, and people are going to say, no, that's acceptable, you know. Yeah, um, while while he's still presenting a mainstream political talk show in Ireland, and and we have people cancelled over saying such ridiculously innocuous things that you know. You, you well, see, this is the thing. I mean, if I believe in freedom of speech for everybody, I particularly believe in freedom of speech for people I don't agree with, because that's the fundamental principle of it, right? So what I find very interesting is that, <coughs> oh, excuse me, is that the people who shriek the loudest about Israel are the people who say, you know, compare Israel to Nazi Germany, really, you know, really horrible, horrible uh, words and images that they evoke, um, deliberately cruel and horseful given Israel's history. But these are the very same people who are actually also the self-appointed language police that want you sacked for saying pikey, you know? Yeah, so... They- yeah. Again, you're not you're you're not dealing with. You see, you can only really have an argument with somebody when they're vaguely rational, and that when they're coming to the argument with a good spirit, and that they're you know they're open enough to have an argument. Uh, these people don't. That's why I mean I've been no platformed quite a few times now over the last eighteen months or whatever from various different things, and it's always because I'm told that I make people feel unsafe or whatever, and it's not. It's just that they don't want to debate. Yeah, it's I know. Because, because, because I win. Exactly. And and that's the problem. And you see, I'm I'm a big free speech advocate as well, because generally, but what really frightens me now is you see, generally, if you have someone like that horrible Cambridge academic who came out the other day and was like, White lives don't matter and stuff. Oh like yeah. The usual nonsense. You see, if you have someone I'm all for someone like her being able to say that. Because then what should happen is everybody can go, well, she's a bit of a disgusting human. People who say things like this are being invited on mainstream programs to talk and tell about how then they were abused and they're really the victim. And I've, I, you know, I have very, very close history with abusers. And these people behave exactly the same way as abusers behave. Well, very much so. The psychology is the, the, the psychological similarities are remarkable. They they are. Um, they, they will they will claim that they're the victim. But they're afraid of speech, right? People say, "Oh, you're just an absolute whatever." So, like last year, there was a uh, a rally against Charlie Flanagan's proposed incitement to hatred act and the free speech bill, as it became known. And so, I went down. I spoke at it, and all the Antifa goons were across the road at Buzzwells and stuff and you know all wearing their little balaclavas and making their little chants and I beckoned them over and I said look just Stephen would say one take your balaclava off cross the road I'll give you the mic and you can say what you want and they wouldn't and that's the thing because it was like 
<laughs> excuse me. It was like they had never even considered that they might be asked to explain their position. You know, um, but and the, the thing is, the whole concept of freedom of speech, the modern concept of freedom of speech, comes from left wing campuses in America in the sixties and the whole civil rights movement. And we have this bizarre situation now where it's the left who are so terribly opposed to free speech. You know, like when I was growing up, it was those nasty conservatives and the horrible people on the right who didn't trust free speech. You know, and at some point, the liberals became the modern conservatives and the old conservatives became the new liberals yeah. in terms of their viewpoints. I mean, how big a um, how big a, how well known was Mary Whitehouse down here back in the day? Back in the day, she was hugely well known. You know, and here's the thing: it, it's it's funny. I've mentioned Mary Whitehouse's name more in the last six months in my columns than I probably would have in the previous five years. Yeah, because the similarities with what we're seeing um, with these little pressure groups, and they don't seem to. And, do you know, but the similarities even go down to, do you remember White House was known as the Blue Rinse Brigade? Yeah. Because there, were, there were all these old biddies who had blue rinses in their hair. And you look at some of the young protesters now, and they're just young biddies with blue <laughs> rinses in their hair. You know what I mean? It's like even the, even the hairstyles don't change. Yeah. Um, but Mary Whitehouse had the same thing in common. She'd be very, very proud of today's young protesters. She wouldn't agree with their politics, but she'd be very proud of their tactics. Um, but she operated under the very false presumption that if she didn't like something, nobody else would get to see it. And yeah. that's exactly the same. Yeah. You see, as what we're saying with you. I mean, I, Mary Whitehouse would would be she'd be just so so small today. You know, she's nothing compared to what these guys are today. <laughs> you know, some she, her things were just minuscule problems compared to what these guys make out. But, but what, the, the thing is, these people are these people are her spiritual grandchildren. You know? Yeah, yeah. You know, Mary Whitehouse in many ways at the source code. They might know who she is, but they know her tactics. They pick them up. And Whitehouse was limited by the technology at the time, so it was just angry letters to the you know to the newspaper and petitions being dropped into Downing Street and stuff. Um, but even those things took a bit of effort, whereas now basically you have the armchair activists and they can just do it all on their phone, yeah. you know, and then think that somehow they're they're doing their, they're doing their bit for the man, you know. Yeah. Um, but look, but the thing is, when it comes down to this whole thing about the idea of it being sort of a right wing obsession or whatever, um, like I took no joy in Katie Hopkins being kicked off Twitter because I don't take any joy in anybody being kicked off Twitter, but she should never have been allowed to become a journalist. In the first place, this is the thing is where you can go to chase and ratings and things like that. And the reason, there's one very specific reason why I'll tell you, is that you might recall where she referred to the migrant, uh, the migrants who kept on coming over in the boats, and she basically said that they should be shot out of the water. But she referred to them as cockroaches. And this is why I argue that she should never have been out to be a journalist. Cockroaches was the name the Rwandans used, the militias used for the Tutsis, right? It was killed a cockroach during the inter Hamway in the 90s where 950,000 people were killed in 100 days, right? Cockroach was the name that Radio Mill Killeen, which is the random radio station, they would read out the addresses of moderate Hutus and Tutsis for the militias to go around and drag out of the house and kill, right? Now, anybody who has any knowledge whatsoever of Rwanda knows what a loaded word cockroach is. So my argument when Hopkins used the word cockroach, if she knew the context and she was deliberately using that context, well, then she's actually evil, not just stupid. And if she didn't know the context and it was clumsy, well, then it shows that she's not good enough to be a columnist. So that's where you get into the interest and stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Hopkins, I mean, I, I get into not rise with people on Twitter, but people, what, what really pisses me off is I get accused of, oh, you know, you're, you're a Katie Hopkins fan. I, I've always hated Katie Hopkins. I think she's a complete moron. Uh, I don't know. It is interesting, evil or stupid. Does it actually really, does it actually really matter at the end of the day? You know, she deliberately says things, 
just to be provocative, just to get more ratings, just to, and she doesn't give a shit what the things that she says are. Um, so whether she's evil or stupid, this is something I've wrestled with lots personally is I don't even know if it actually matters whether she's evil. Well, or some, she's sometimes that could be a distinction. Sometimes that could be a distinction without a difference, you know. Um, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. But this is where I think the whole. I don't actually think everything today is sort of painted as left versus right, and I don't think it's left versus right at all. I think it's people who want control and people who want to be free, and there's both people who want control on the left and the right. And there's both people who want to be free on the left and the right. And it's hard. It's 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 a bit derivative to actually make everything sort of black and white. I don't even more that might be racist saying that, but it's a bit every. It's, it's African American and white to you. Is it, okay, um, African American and Nazi maybe. <laughs> I think. Yeah, I don't yeah. think. I think we have to be Nazis now. But you know, it, it's it's not always as easy to break things down into just two things. But I don't like left versus right I prefer, it's people who want to control others and people who want to be free and the thing about it is and I again I have lots of personal experience in this and it goes back to that little dopamine hit you know if you have a drug like heroin say for instance that makes you feel unbelievably good for however amount of time I don't know I've never taken heroin so I don't know how long the high last but it it makes you feel unbelievably good and you will do anything at all to get this high no matter how much of your life or anyone else's life it is destroying i know for a fact and i i know definitely there are people who let's call them emotional vampires who who suck the emotion out of other people this is their heroin you know they being able to control other people is their heroin. Now, eventually, that destroys everything and destroys your, the world, but that doesn't matter. Much like a heroin addict is destroying themselves, they don't care. And this is where I think this is where I think the psychology of it lies behind, or yeah, lies lies behind. But you know. What do you think? Do you think it's more... Do you agree with the whole left-right thing at the minute? Left and right no longer seems to mean what it represented when I was growing up. Um, and that's because, to a large degree, politics has been replaced by identity politics. This is something that we need to remember, you know. Um, now we've, we've kind of got into this weird situation where it's not what you're saying, but it's who's saying it. You know, and it's this kind of thing of, Oh, stale male and pale or you know, you know white people don't you know we don't want to hear from white people and stuff like that so I think the worry that I have for the culture is that we seem to be getting towards the stage where ideas are less important than identity you know and is this race to be there's a real and, it, and this is something that applies both to left and right is this, this race to be a victim as well um, we've now, I think it was Ian McEwen said that, you know, we live the era of the sanctification of victims. And there's a large degree of that, you know. Um, so it, it's basically, it all just combines to make a sort of a very toxic stew of idiocy, really, you know, and arrogance and this sort of performative petulance. I mean, I think it was Charlie Brooker who said that Twitter is like the best computer game ever made. Because people are getting the dopamine hits when they get the likes and stuff, you know. Yeah, and I thought that was a really good that was a really good point, and that's basically. But I mean, you you see it on social media now. It's become, and unfortunately, it's bled into the the real world now. But we're living through an arms race of idiocy, where it almost seems like people are competing with each other to see who can come out with the most ridiculous phrase or the most ridiculous statement and sentiment, and none of them stand up to scrutiny. And eventually, it goes that you know, well, I'm speaking my truth. There is no such thing as your truth. There is objective yeah. truth. Yeah. There is objective well, truth. That is it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Y yesterday's um, forests are racist thing comes to mind when <laughs> that, that's the latest stupidity I've heard. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the countryside is racist. Yeah. But 
Here's the but thing. My, no, my favorite example. My favorite example of that that really, you know, uh, almost heroic degrees of missing the point and stupidity was a. Uh, there was a, a the British Army had an ad, a recruitment ad. It was last year, last year of the year before, and the recruitment ad was a, you know, bunch of soldiers in camouflage dress, in the jungle or whatever, training, and. Kate Smorthway, the British comedian. Um, yeah, I no, I, I refuse. Sorry, I, I'm also freedom of speech, but I refuse to allow Kate Smorthway to be called a comedian on my well, show. The, <laughs> but she came out and she accused the soldiers of wearing blackface <laughs> because they were wearing camouflage gear. Yeah, and and they had that the, the makeup on their face. Now, ironically, that's probably the funniest thing that one has ever said, um, and certainly. <laughs> You know, it's the only time she's ever actually made people laugh. But there was no embarrassment when it was pointed out to her. She was just, well, I was just saying what I thought. Yeah, but But this is is exactly the same as David Lammy's Black Smoke. Do you remember at the election of the Pope? The Black Smoke was signaled, oh, we don't have a Pope. So David Lammy said that was racist. And everybody laughed at him and pointed it out. And there was no, oh, okay, I'm an idiot. All right, I was really very wrong. Okay, no, no, nothing, nothing. Just yeah. Oh, no. this is it because they will just, they will just look, they will just march and trundle on regardless of the facts or common sense or anything of that. Like, you know, exactly. And <clears throat> excuse me. Now, I have to say, from a certain perspective, these people keep me in a job <laughs> because they're always giving me plenty to write about. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And I do like taking the Mickey out of politicians. It's it's, it's one of my favourite things, and they provide plenty. Of material for that, um, yeah. but it's there's a difference between like the likes of yourself, myself, and people listen to this. We can kind of separate the nonsense from the funny nonsense. But there's a whole generation coming up that, or a large part of a whole generation that's coming up. You can't just you can't damn an entire generation. But there's a, a significant proportion of kids coming through now, um, and they're going to be even more stupid. And more eccentric because every generation has to outdo the one that went before it. History shows us that, you know. And you can only look at the the way um, people say people of color now, as a, where you know liberals say people of color, racists say colored people, is a part of the narrative. Um, but already, people of color in America is beginning to get a backlash, right? So the people who would have liked to loftily lecture us six months ago and say, don't say black, you say person of colour. In another few months, they're going to be lectured by somebody who's younger than they are, saying don't use the word people of colour. And it goes back to, I know Orwell is massively overquoted these days, but there's a brilliant line from when they're coming out with the new Ingsoc Dictionary, and one of the guys says, the destruction of words is a beautiful thing. And we're going through an era where we're seeing the destruction of words. Yeah, and statues, and so, and it won't be too long. And you, I don't know if you saw uh, the museum dedicated to Charles Dickens was vandalized yesterday. I, I seen something briefly about that, but yes, statues. There'll be buildings torn down next. Um, yeah, because of God only knows what thing. You know. Um, well, but, I'm, I'm waiting. For, I'm waiting for the next sign on social media. The next ad. Come to the next. Come to the latest book burning. Yeah, yeah, but it'll like it, how far away are we from burning books? Well, if they knew what a book was, they probably would. They, the fortunate yeah. thing is they, yeah. they won't. I suppose they it's, won't. It's, it's not quite as dramatic to throw a load of Kindles onto a bonfire. It doesn't yeah, really yeah, yeah, yeah. You might have to. Too expensive. We can, maybe you can burn down data centers. Maybe you'll have to send <laughs> data centers that only yeah. only the bad data centers have the bad books in them or something like that. I don't know. But but, no, but the thing is, it's, it's because it's all, that's, all that stuff is coming from the same mindset. Yeah. It's, and it, it's it's a weirdly puritanical mindset for these people who like to consider themselves young and hip and liberal, but very very puritanical. Yeah, but it's um, an I'm I'm right and you're wrong mindset, and yeah. there is no possible way that I can be wrong. You're wrong. Yeah. End of story. Um, and you notice and, as well, it's not it's not a case anymore of just you're wrong. It's you're wrong. You're immoral and you're evil. Yeah, yeah. You, you yes and. It's yeah. Go back to. I mean, that's that's an abuser's mindset. But go, go back to something you said a minute ago about you know only only black people can talk about certain things. Only 
white people can talk about certainly that's not, that's not actually true because if you you know the identity stuff at the minute isn't actually your identity of ethnicity or sex or gender whatever we're calling it these days you know because there are black people who have come out and said black lives matter is wrong i don't agree with it and they've been told to go to hell you're I've been vilified de- and called, you know, Uncle Tom's yeah. and coconuts and all that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so um, your your identity is a a political one. Your identity isn't anything else. You know, you're only allowed to talk about things as long as you actually agree with what's been talked about. And I'll give you a, a, an exa- example. You know, I've had people say to me, "You do not understand the pain and suffering these people have went through." And I was like, "Really?" Try growing up as a Catholic in 1980s Northern Ireland in certain places, you know, and they're yeah. well, that doesn't that doesn't count. <laughs> oh, okay, sorry about that. Yeah, I'll shut up now. You know, <laughs> it's like you know, you don't understand this. You don't, and I said, and I give examples and said, well, look here, here's what I went through here. Of course, I bloody understand it, but no, it doesn't matter because they understand it, despite the fact that they have never actually lived through it. They understand it because they think they're so much smarter and so much better than everyone else. Yeah, but see, the thing is, they don't care about any other opinions. You know, they're they're automatically primed to go off on them with a challenge, you know. Um, and this is why it's virtually impossible to have an argument with them. Um, and that's why, like, I mean, I really enjoy uh, doing college debates. Um, I usually find the kids, the students, great, really clever, really engaged and really funny, you know. But I've noticed over the last few years even there's been a change. You know, there's, there's greater stridency and greater performative outrage. You know, where people want everybody else to see how annoyed that they are. You know, and, <clears throat> excuse me, what it is, the one thing that cuts through all of this that's in common, whether it's the kids or Black Lives Matter or the, the anti-Israeli crew, it's just a remarkable lack of sincerity that goes on with them. You, you know, the, the thing is, when you know what somebody's views, when you know what somebody's public views are going to be just because of one opinion they hold, and you know that they will tick all the right boxes on all the other issues, regardless of what they are, well, then you know you're not dealing with somebody who actually thinks for themselves. You know, it's, um, yeah. it's become a bit like the new religion, you know. People just don't, people don't have to think. They don't want to think. And, they, you know, somebody else does the thinking for them. And like all religions, this boils down to basically a cynic selling lies that are being bought by the gullible. Yeah. And, and like all religions, they're the right one. And everyone, all the rest of them are wrong. Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, this is what I don't. You see, if we had, we don't, these people are not honest. They're not interested in honesty. They're not interested in debating honestly and stuff. But if we actually had an honest media, which we don't, if you had a, you imagine if, if, if you're brought on and you probably, you probably have been, but if you're, if you were onto a radio show now or a TV show now where there is the presenter who is a supposed moderator and they have you on one side and they have one of these other people on the other side. You know, there's very, very little that I can see actual fairness from these moderators now. You know, whether it's through fear, whether it's through their own personal beliefs, whether it's through whatever, I don't know. But they've already decided who's getting, who's right and who's wrong before the thing ever takes place and who they're going to give the most. Um, our time to who they're going to, uh, you know, agree with the most. Do you find that like? Are you, would you agree with that, or is that just me imagining things? Well, there's a few presenters I just won't bother doing anything with, um, which is probably just as well because two of those presenters have said they'd never want me on their show anyway. So, um, <laughs> so, so that works out well for all concerned. Um, yeah. No, I think like I love doing stuff with Pat Kenny. I think he's a brilliant moderator. Um, I've always found him very fair. Uh, Ivan Yates and Matt Cooper have two very different styles. Um, but what I find is I'll often know when I go into a green room or whatever, Just you can see from the, the composition of the other guests and stuff like that. Um, 
But the thing is, no producer books you to go out onto a show and then to ignore you. If they're going to book you there, they want you to say something. Now, that doesn't mean the presenter has to like you. It doesn't necessarily mean the presenter even has to treat you fairly. My take on that is that we're all big boys. You go out, and once the cameras are once the cameras are on, it's up to you to stake your claim. And sometimes yeah. you have to, you know what I mean? But because you can't, it's 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 live telly. It's a back and forth. So it's not a case of say, right, we can give six and a half minutes to Gareth, then we give six and a half minutes to Ian, then we get, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah. It doesn't necessarily work like that, but there are times. I mean, undoubtedly, uh, there's times when I've been doing things on my job beyond the table, nearly going like, wow, they're not even making an effort to hide the bias. But I mean, I don't mind that. Like, I mean, it's, I'd rather that they're up front up front yeah. with it because I mean you know I just dish it back it's cool you know yeah yeah fair enough but you um, I remember you telling me before I mean you sort of you didn't uh, you had an awful problem with RTE and sort of not being fair to, to a show that you did before was it or do you want to talk uh, about it? no that was it was a documentary I did about Jesus years ago um, what was sold to me as it was going to be a Louis Theroux kind of thing, you know, about uh, going around to meet Muslims and stuff. And I thought, okay, fair enough. And uh, But it ended up being something very, very different. And, you know, it was basically like a reality show where I was just, you know, driven around the country in the back of the car and thrown into houses of people who didn't want me there or whatever. It was just, I just thought it was a really badly put together um, program that, you know, and the only reason why I didn't walk, like about two days in, I went, oh, hang on a second. This isn't what I signed up for. And this isn't what was sold um, but and there was another five or six days of constant shooting um, going on all around the country. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I didn't walk because I'd shaken the producer's hand, and it, th- yeah. that meant more to me than actually signing the contract. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Because I could I could have got out of it and said, well, what, what what was described in the contract wasn't actually what was happening. So, um, so that was. That was irritating, but I was more irritated at myself because I remember Kevin Morris saying to me, do not go anywhere near this program. They are going to completely stitch you up. And it was through arrogance and ego. I went, no, no, I'll be able to do this. Um, So if I feel sore about it, it's which I don't anymore. I mean, you know, uh, it's it's, it's almost at my own naivety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. I'm thinking of it, like, you know what I mean? I mean, but. Look, as a handy rule of thumb, I'd rather regret the things I did than regret not doing something. Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, I mean, it's glad you 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 didn't take the the opinion of famous anti-Semite Kevin Mars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let's let's we have we have a few minutes left, so let's actually talk about Kevin Mars because there's a good few um, people in the UK who listen to this podcast as well, and there's probably people now who still don't. I I it's just. It baffles me how this happened, how people still don't know the story, how anything goes. So to I'll briefly explain it and because you know way you'll know way more about it than me. Kevin Myers, what for those of you who don't know him, Kevin Myers was an extremely famous Irish writer, really good, very, very good writer. Um he was sacked for being an anti Semite, more or less. Now, to describe Kevin Mars as an anti-Semite would be like describing me as a Liverpool fan. It's just the most ridiculous thing that anyone could ever say. So he was thrown to the wolves. The Irish media, who was supposedly part of, loved this um, and got rid of him. But, you know... You talk about it. You'll know more about it than I will. It's just the most amazing story that went nowhere. Yeah, well, it's one of the lowest moments, probably the lowest moment I've ever seen, I've ever witnessed in Irish journalism. Um, (coughs) Kevin, I'm talking about the reaction to Kevin's sacking now. I'm not talking about the piece. Kevin admits himself, there was a line in the piece about Vanessa Belts and Claudia Winkleman being two of the highest paid female presenters of the BBC, but they're Jewish and the Jews are well known for being good at negotiating their packages, pay packages. Uh, throwaway line. And so it appeared on the Sunday morning and by lunchtime on the Sunday, he was gone. And all for all, pretty much all of the next week, um, every paper, just it was the biggest pylon I've ever seen. 
You know, we see Twitter pylons all the time. And obviously there was lots of that going on as well. But to see the newspapers, um, and I saw people who used to queue up to meet Kevin at the office Christmas party, right? Because Kevin's a very charismatic guy. He's a very nice guy. Um, and there were several people who I've actually seen queue to meet Kevin. Then write a thousand words on what a bastard he is and why it's good that he's gone. Right. So when I see the cowardice around the media's treatment of Black Lives Matter or whatever, that's why I'm not massively surprised. Normally yeah. taken back by it. You know, but the thing about it is a good man lost his career and he lost his reputation and he lost everything. And and the country of- and the country lost a, a, a very smart, intelligent, and mostly honest writer. And maybe he's, that's he, what he, it was all about. No, he's the best columnist in the country by a mile. Yeah. Without a shadow of a doubt. Even when you don't agree with him. Yeah. You know, he was quite simply in a class of his own. Um, but the mob got him, you know. But, and you see, but this they, the problem with them. They got him on the most ridiculous lie ever. That's the that's the bit where I don't understand. You yeah, know, if they got him on something stupid, if they got him on something small, it would be ridiculous. But they got him on a, something completely and utterly fabricated. Um, you yeah. know, they got him, and, and they got away with it. So, what hope is there for any of us if they can do that? Well, I have to be careful not to mention any names here, but there was a relatively senior journalist who had been involved in the pylon uh, pulled me aside around this time last year, I think, actually. And asked me, was I still in contact with Kevin? And I said, he was. And he asked me, how was Kevin? And I said, it's business. Um, and then he asked me, would I pass on his condolences for how everything happened and his regrets at how things had gone down at the time? And I probably said, no. Ring him yourself. You know, I think, see, this is the thing. There was a, you know, there was a school of sharks when there was a descent of blood in the water and a few of them went way over the top. And I think a few of them actually, if if they're honest, they realize that now themselves. But the damage is done and Kevin's not coming back. Like he's, I know he's written a book or whatever. But um, I think it's it's the, the Irish journalism and the nation is poorer without him. Very much so. Uh, very, very, very much so. I mean, you, you're right. Kevin is very charismatic. I've, I've never, I never met Kevin face to face. But back when I decided to study journalism in 2008, um, and we all make stupid decisions, but I did that. <laughs> I, I was in journalism school, and you used to ask people. You know, you ask people for help, or you ask journalism for help, journalists for help, and. Everybody you asked or any journalists that I spoke to who would very much all been on, I started out on the left, they would have very much all been on the left, you know. They're all just, oh, piss off, I just can't be bothered helping you. Or, you know, they, they, it was very palpable. They just, would you just go away, piss off. But this is, you know, suppose it, I suppose it, a journalism student. The two people who replied to me, who took time out of their day to talk to me, who even did interviews and stuff with me, were Kevin Myers and Rod Little. And, you know, two not small people, two people who are very busy, two people who are very, very busy, very well known, but genuinely care, didn't didn't really care about what my, you know, don't care about my views or my any, that, that doesn't matter. They genuinely cared that somebody wanted to study journalism and wanted to get to the truth. Um, and this is what really st- stuck out to me is that these were the two people and you're probably the two most, in inverted commas, hated people among other the establishment journalists there are. It's amazing. It, it, stuff well, like this. Well, that's often the way, you know. That's, that's, that's often the way. But I mean, the, it's interesting you said, like, I'm surprised you were saying that there were other journalists who didn't respond or weren't that interested or whatever, because I find certainly amongst me and any of my contemporaries, I mean, there's a real, it's almost a code of honour that if a kid gets in touch with you, you get back to them and try to help them, you know? Mm-hmm. Although I do remember, you get a laugh out of this, it's a, 
go a few years ago now, I got a, an email from a kid in, uh, in college who was doing journalism. And it was a long, rambling email. <laughs> and, uh, it wasn't me. It sounds like me. It was filled with so many typos <laughs> and spelling errors. It was really bad. So what I did was I cleaned up her copy yeah. and I sent it back to her. And I yeah. said, that's what you should have sent in in the first place. And if you're yeah. sending this around to anybody else, that's the template you need to use. Was it because you can't be talking to journalists when, you know, there was there were two spelling errors in the first sentence and it just got worse from there. <laughs> um, and she replied back on, go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which just doesn't, doesn't surprise me because I swear to God, when I started that course, the lecturers and the people who were doing the stuff they had the most ridiculously rubbish grammar and spelling. And it was all just, ah, look at the sub will sort it out. <laughs> I don't care. The sub will sort it, you know. And, yeah. and you're going, how can you be like this? You know, <laughs> why do you not care about what you're doing? Why do you not care? And I, they just didn't care. And no, well, I mean, there's two, there's two people I know of who, weren't good enough to last in a newsroom. But apparently they're good enough to become lecturers because that's what they're doing now. <laughs> yeah, well, those, you who know? Can't, those who can't, yeah. you know, they, they, they teach. Um, but um, those who can't, what is it? Those who can't do. Those who can't do, teach. those who can't teach. Yeah, but, oh, I met some... <laughs> oh, story for another day, but I met some lunatics lecturers back in, back in those. Anyway, to finish up, it's currently... This goes out on a Thursday. It's currently Tuesday. What day are you T-shocked this week? Have you got? Have you have you been told yet? Sorry, you faded out. What, what day? It's current. So this goes out on Thursday. It's currently Tuesday. I just want right. to check which day are you T-shocked this week? Will you be T-shocked when this? Oh, goes out? Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm going. To, I'm going to be. Uh, I think we're all throwing a toss of a coin later on. Like you know. Yeah, well, I mean, if me all can have it, surely any of us can have it. I did. It, it, it will come to us all, Gareth. It will come to us all. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen. Thank you very much, Ian. Really great Cheers, to talk man. to you again. Really great to talk to you again. Thank you for doing this, and um, all right. Hopefully, we might have you back on again soon. So, thank okay, you, Ian. Right. Talk to you soon, man. Cheers.